about this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. Is there you? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Welcome to Blindsight. This is your host, Bill Lundgren. The podcast is produced by Audio Information Network of Colorado, and we're focusing today on the subject of loneliness. Of course, none of our None of the people who listen to this program have ever felt nope. lonely, and that includes the people who work here, <laughs> ever. However, <laughs> for the rest of those people, yeah, loneliness is a major issue in the uh, public health department. The uh, Surgeon General has issued a report of his uh, uh, committee on loneliness and calling for a major effort on the part of the uh, government and the public to uh, change that because it has become very clear that mm-hmm. it has physical as well as mental health implications, uh, including uh, a 50% increase in dementia for aging population including 32, I think, uh, chances of stroke, increased chance of strokes. You know, it's there's a lot of physical response to this mm-hmm. thing we call loneliness. Now, today, we're going to have an interaction, again, with uh, our producer and myself to talk about this subject and what we're learning from the research that's coming out. And Jonathan, are you there? I'm here. I'm ready to rock and roll. Good. Okay. Uh, any thoughts that you have when we talk about loneliness? Yeah, it's scary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I think of loneliness, it's um, it's all too real and all too prevalent. Um, it's very common for people to be in a crowded room feeling very alone. And part of that is due to the technology that we hold in our hands. And we think that our phones or uh, our books or whatever media we have in our hands can play, uh, can link us together to people, which they can, but it's not meaningful. And the core of what uh, the Surgeon General was talking about in his report is all around the aspect of relational gathering. And so I want to read this quote real quick out of the sure. out of his uh, article. It says, we now know that loneliness is a common feeling that many people experience. It's like hunger or thirst. It's a feeling that the body sends us when something we need for survival is missing. Millions, skipping on, millions of people in America are struggling in the shadows, and that's not right. That's why I issued this advisory to pull back the curtain on a struggle that too many people are experiencing. And one of the interesting things that he made reference to, loneliness on a daily basis 
is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That if if that doesn't get your attention about what loneliness is and the dangers that it can present, you you need to take a serious, long, hard look at what you're doing with your own life and what you're doing with the people who are in your life. If you're not engaging with your kids, your spouse, your parents, your friends, your coworkers, look, you you can try to say they're not engaging with me, so I'm not going to engage with them. That is one of the core issues with loneliness. Well, you didn't do it for me, so I'm not going to do it for you. So, you know, it, it we've got to make a mental note and a conscious decision to get out of our loneliness and go do something. Go do anything. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty fired up about this topic, Bill. Yeah, and I am too. Uh, the couple couple things I want to add to it, it uh, not so much uh, discussed in the report, but when we're talking about loneliness, we're not talking about aloneness. Right. Because I think loneliness is that we don't feel like we have an alternative. We feel stuck. Right. We feel... Uh, you know, we can feel that nobody loves us or we feel that we can't do anything about this condition. However, if you're a parent, you may want to uh, be alone, but you're making a choice. Hey, kid, do this instead. And I just want to have some peace and solitude. And that's very restorative. What we're talking about is the uh, aloneness where it isn't restorative, in fact, it increases our uh, our misery, so to speak. The other piece mm. that I think is important, you're talking about, uh, and related to that, you're talking about you get, get out and do something. Part of the problem is that the individual feels stuck and doesn't know what he or she can do. Right. And that's Absolutely. why I thought it was interesting about the report uh, mm-hmm. from the Surgeon General, he was outlining every uh, sector uh, in our country, from schools right. to health service and so forth, the things that yep. they can do yeah. to help. And and so it is a joint effort, society and the individual, and each has their, their requirement. I think for, you know, the individual, yes. If the individual can exercise, if the individual, uh, in fact, is so uh, so stuck, so to speak, can mm-hmm. seek out some mental health counseling to help right. him or her move out into it. It can be as uh, also one of the ways that we kind of cover up those feelings is we may take on an addiction. Whether it's mm-hmm. workaholism, whether it's uh, chemicals, whatever it is, some way to anesthetize those feelings. Yes. And we have to observe, oh, that is, you know, what I say to, to people right off the bat, when we're feeling that loneliness, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on? How am I stuck? Uh, what is causing me to be so immobile? Sometimes, as you outline, we're saying, 
those people don't like me or I mm. don't fit in that group or, you know, we can come up with all kinds of suppositions. And right. if we stay in those suppositions and don't test them out, then, you know, we we're caught in this physiological stress of, of loneliness and so it's a two part is a two part effort uh that it well, it's also it's also a fine line between wanting to take 15 minutes to be by yourself so that you can recharge your batteries and right. wanting to be alone for you know days on end at a time right. or and, and even even right you you know even in social settings isolating yourself putting yourself in the corner or even to the much greater detriment being in a crowd of people talking to people and engaging but emotionally keeping a, a, a what i call as a glass wall where you can interact with everybody and you can have those those meaningful conversations but there will be zero connection because you're the the Performing. mental the, yeah, you're performing. The mental block is there. And when that yeah. mental block is there, I think that's so much more dangerous than just isolating yourself physically for a few minutes or just in a corner. You know, it, it, he also said this was the another thing that shocked me was that ages 15 to 24. So high school, young adult, that age group reported a 70 percent drop in the time spent with friends from uh, what was it? from uh 20 minutes a day uh what does it say um what my notes say friends in 2020 so they spent about 20 minutes a day in person with friends in 2020 down from 60 minutes daily nearly two decades earlier but that's and the pandemic and that, that it, pandemic yeah has really raised our uh uh isolation and in fact helped us to sort of form a, a cocoon so to speak uh, a yeah. negative cocoon uh, against people because we say oh you know I can't go out because of so forth and so on and we have just lost the skill to mm -hmm. interact unless it's uh, by zoom and well, we if, got lazy if that if that Right. We got lazy. We, we, we decided that, okay, I can see you on a screen. That's good enough for me. And I'm going to go do something else. You know, yeah. it's a false connection. It's a fake connection. And when you have fake connections and you decide that those connections are true and real, you end up hurting yourself in the long run because then you don't know how to act in a public setting. You don't know how to go out and have dinner with people. You don't know how to go out and go dancing and go explore the cities and go to movies and go be with people in a public setting. And so when you're only acting with excuse me, people on a Zoom call or uh, whatever media you want to have and you know we all have these tendencies to be you know keyboard gurus or keyboard warriors behind a closed door and behind our computer screens it's easy for us to say whatever it is that we want to say because we don't have any consequences for our actions i think that also plays a big part of it but when we go to loneliness it 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 hurts me when there are people in my life that I know for a fact are lonely yep. and mm -hmm. they will not 
they will not engage in whatever activity it is. And when they do, they fold their arms, they, they cross their legs and they have this grumpy look on their face. And when you try to bring them into a conversation or into, and you're inviting them into a place of community and they shut you down, it's so hard for those people because I'm the type of person who wants to go out and create those friendships and relationships right. and, you know, interact with people. But, you know, it's so hard for me to see somebody I know who I love is so lonely. But that- you see, the, the issue, and, and this is where I think the self-awareness has to begin, because a lot of people don't know how to interact in a real fashion with other people. They're afraid sure. of it or they have never learned. They came from looking good families that yes. uh, would hide themselves. Right. And, or and they're what we describe as the private people who just are afraid to open up because shame or something may happen to them if they if they came down off that pedestal and tried to uh, be close to someone that's mm-hmm. hurt. You know, you really make yourself, you have to make yourself vulnerable to oh, cross the barrier into connection. And there's so, a, Bill, a, yes. I, I was going to ask you, what are some of the health risks specifically that you've seen in relation to loneliness? I think, well, certainly suicide is very high. Right. And also, you know, what the Surgeon General's report is talking about, increased cardiac, increased, mm-hmm. uh, I think the loneliness has the, uh, produces the chemicals in the body that are uh, produced by inactivity, negative toxic uh energy hormones that inactivity can bring on and they you know there's uh obesity obesity rate there's any number of things diabetes apparently is very Mm. high it is higher for someone who is into loneliness and this is borne Mm. out by research this isn't some kind of cockamamie kind of thing what I see so often is sometimes self-injurious behavior, like I mentioned, mm. addiction. Uh, I see people who are just absolutely miserable. And, you know, we humans are social animals. If we, we People don't like to be compared to primates, but if you look at uh, some of the research that's done on primates, you see interaction and even, you know, primates uh, grooming each other, mm-hmm. being not afraid to express what they're feeling. But right. we've created a society, even before the Internet, where there are people just afraid to be themselves because if, they, if, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Right. Which is, they're saying, in essence, I don't like me. Yeah. And there's a, another paper which also has come out, and it's been an ongoing study 
from uh, that Harvard has been doing for 83 years. It's a multi-generational wow. study. And what they were looking at is this fun term, happiness. What is happiness? How mm. does, do you create happiness? And their study had over and over again uh, said that relationships are is the one Carlin for happiness. Yeah. And so, which is in line with the uh, uh, report from the Surgeon General that we need that social connection. And right now, we have some real problems because we're so divided as a nation politically and in terms of, of uh, ideas of how things should be that we're not even talking to each other. Not yet. It's just it's not just the the Internet. It's the fact that our, our, uh, our discussions are so hostile that we aren't even able to talk to each other. And one of the things that the report certainly points out is what I, you know, as a therapist, I'm having to help people with is the idea of teaching people how to connect because we mm-hmm. don't know how to, we're not trained. And one of the connections is for us, just us, the person yeah. that's lonely to reach out and to talk to other people but talk in a way that feels safe and mm. not hold back. One of the one of the things that's so important, this is I get this all the time in working with couples and working with uh as well as individuals, is how to talk to one another. You know, we yeah. get into these confrontations when really what we need to do, if someone has an opinion that's different from ours to instead of counter it, explore that subject with some with the person. Yeah. Uh, and to explore it in a couple ways. Number one, I ask couples to uh, and I teach couples to uh, when they have something they need to discuss to sit down facing each other at a table you know, mm-hmm. a cup of coffee or something, and to for one person to state what it is they're thinking or need or whatever, and for the other to just paraphrase it. Mm-hmm. Be in order to let the first person know that he or she heard what was requested. Yeah, and we can do that as friends. We can say. Well, what I hear you saying is X, Y, Z, even though you think it's absolutely absurd, but make sure that that person you're talking to knows that you've heard him because a lot of times Mm -hmm. we aren't hearing each other. And then after uh, the paraphrasing, and we can even say, did I hear that right? Then you can say, well, you know, not not confront the person, but say, you know, well, I see, I see things a little differently. And, mm-hmm. you know, go on to see, you know, not in a confrontation or you're wrong, but be able to really listen and maybe uh, empathize with the, what the person is saying, for example, yeah, I can understand why you, you might feel that, especially if you ask the person, well, that's an interesting idea. 
Tell me, uh, what does that do for you to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to follow that line of thinking and allow the person, even if, it's, if you think this is absolute crazy, take that germ of understanding and listening to the person because even if the two of you leave with maintaining your stance, at least you felt like both of you heard each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really crucial in conversation. And we don't do that. We shortcut. No, we, yeah, we do. We we absolutely shortcut. And I think if if you are somebody who is looking to, I guess, help in a in a way, I guess that's the best word to put it. You can call somebody, and if they're open to it, get together with just them one on one. Just one-on-one. We don't need to go into this whole big arena and say, everybody come be my friend. You know, we don't need that. We need one person with one person doing life together side by side. Exactly. And the side by side essence of saying, what are you struggling with? How -hmm. can I help you? How can I be there for you? If you're religious, how can I pray for you? How can I be here with you in all of these situations? And when you do that, something beautiful happens where, you know, it's it's always been said that in your military buddies, in your squadrons, those are your brothers. And because mm-hmm. you have gone through firefights together, you've gone through training together, you've been through literal hell and back with the same people and shared, um, I guess, stresses and shared struggles will bring about a level of intimacy that can help fight loneliness. And so when you come alongside of somebody and you say, how am I going to help you today? They may say, I don't know. And that's when you have to say, okay, I'm noticing that something is happening here, or I'm noticing Mm -hmm. that you haven't gone to the store in three days and your shelves are looking a little bare what can I buy you at the store and get them to start a dialogue by what can I do? What can I get you? Be hyper specific about certain things that you're talking about. And it will draw those people into a very small, short conversation with you about what their needs are. It may be just, Hey, I noticed that your feet are, are bare. Do you want some socks? Can I get you some socks? And it's if you offer a question in the way of, can I do something for you? Can I serve you? Can I do this? Instead of, do you want this or do you want that? It's easier for them to say no to a do you right. want question rather than a, can I serve you? How can I be there for you? Well, there is a little problem here, because, and I, I agree with what you're saying. One of the difficulties, particularly for us males, it's real difficult for us to accept any help. Agreed. And I, th- yeah. and I think, see, and, and again, we're talking in terms of how to deal with loneliness. Uh, one, for the individual who is lonely, for him or her to, do, to just try a little bit of reaching out in that way. Mm-hmm. will help tremendously for that person to feel empowered. Right. Just as someone who uh, is helping someone is lonely to be able to reach out 
and let mm-hmm. that person know that uh, he is, he or she is not a uh, one down, but is an equal. But this person who's reaching out is uh, uh, wanting to uh, empower him or is noticing what's going on and just gently uh, helping them to uh, make some decisions to move forward. So it's mm-hmm. a two-way street, which can, uh, which helps the person who's doing it to feel good. Right. And yeah. as the person who is, uh, is giving help is doing something good for that person. In other words, it's a two-way, two-way street. I can say to you, you know, can I, uh, can I get such and such or uh, what is it that would be helpful? I'm doing one part of the transaction, but when you let me do it, mm-hmm. you're giving me a gift. You're not taking yeah. from me. You're giving me right. a gift, the gift right. of being able to give to somebody. Yeah. And we don't get them many opportunities. Yeah. Now, what, what I get is a blind person. I'm standing in a street corner and the person says, uh, do you need help? That feels one down for me. And, you know, I usually say to him, well, I'm beyond help. But, <laughs> right, which is the reaction most people, uh, and, yeah. you know, immediately. It's empowering for me to say that because I make a joke and then they, you know, it isn't feeling like a one down position. Uh, what I teach ushers, for example, in uh, – at the DCPA is when you have a uh, a patron coming in who is uh, uh, has blindness, we say, uh, "How can I be of assistance to you?" And it just it's different from, "Do you need help?" Right. And be able to to so you have to be very delicate about it, but at the same time, if if you find a way that you can let them know, hey, you know, no big deal. Uh, about my giving you a hand. In fact, I would feel great if you would let me do it. Right. Can I help you with those bags? You seem to be struggling with carrying 80 bags of groceries. Right, right. And that that becomes a transaction. And how how we do it is as important as that we do it. Right. Now, on the other hand, when we... Uh, decide that uh, we're going to help somebody if we take over. And and people with blindness know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, mm-hmm. grabbing by the arm or making yes. the decision for the person only enhances the loneliness because they don't have right. any power. They're, you're taking yeah. their power away. And no wonder they're going to uh, they're going to withdraw. And I think it one of the things in, you know, thinking in terms of the report, uh, as a person with blindness, uh, when you lose your sight, you really, you know, you have to adjust to the fact that you can't see people in the same way you used to. You can't mm-hmm. follow their body language. You have to find other ways to understand, uh, the uh, the unspoken message of the other individual, right. and that that gets very scary yep. for someone who's a senior and they have macular degeneration, 
and they aren't able to drive or they can only drive, you know, down to the corner store and they mm. feel that power being taken away from them. And, and you know, the shame and that, uh, that doubt causes people to withdraw and that becomes a, a, a secondary effect of, of blindness that is really very important because you become mm. more isolated in order to, to deal with the feelings that you have of helplessness. They're not being sure. quite uh, as good as somebody else or, or whatever. And we have to yeah. really do a number, uh, a, a lesson on ourselves to begin to uh, know that at what they for example, taught, uh, teach in the NFB, you can do anything you want to do. You just need to find out how to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Now, that gets stretched a little bit. Uh, I remember having, uh, being at, when I was in the school here and having my classmates uh, wrestle with that statement and mm-hmm. they said, well, how would a blind person rob a bank? And, you know, they... <laughs> Yeah, I spent quite a bit of right. time. The only thing I could add is that I'd have to change my dog's color. Uh, oh yeah, the getaway dog. But yep. while it was funny, it was an education to us to mm-hmm. say, okay, yeah, maybe there are things that I can do. I just need to do differently. Sure. And and that's where you know someone who has blindness, and particularly a newly blind person. When they're in that loneliness thing, you know, they say, well, I don't know how, I don't know how to date because I can't see the person, uh, you know, that I meet in a bar or something like that. Well, you've got to find other ways to uh, reach out to people. And the fact that you're reaching out to somebody who's sighted and you're blind, again, is that transaction that you, you're helping them to feel good to help you mm-hmm. and you're getting the job done. And you don't have to do the job. You can right. have somebody help you. And that's yeah. uh, that's a benefit as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, somebody- I, I agree 100%. Absolutely. Well, Bill, as we, as we land this thing, I want to put you kind of on the spot and give you two assignments to our or have you give our listeners two assignments. The first assignment being one to the person who does not feel lonely. And the second assignment is to the person who does feel lonely. What can they do in their respective areas? And because it's an assignment, I, I would like our, you know, the people who are listening to think about it. There, there are a couple, certainly there are a couple things as a, as a, uh, uh, at times when I've felt lonely, uh, the thing that's been someone, giving me a call Mm. unexpectedly and i'm you know i'm trying to do that more myself uh agreed as a non uh lonely person uh to to call people i haven't talked to for a while Mm -hmm. and to uh uh to touch base just to let them know that i'm thinking of them it's so important for that person who's feeling lonely as well as is important for the lonely person to do that to help him or herself uh, feel empowered, but mm-hmm. also to do something nice for another person. Now, mm-hmm. that's real tough when you're feeling lonely and trapped. But right. 
sometimes, you know, it's helpful. <laughs> this is, this may sound absurd, but have a list of people that you do care about and put a list down and make a note that, you know, when you're feeling down, to call that person and you're not not going to pour out your woes, you're going to find out how they are. Mm-hmm. In other words, to, yeah. because when you're lonely, you're really internalizing a lot of stuff. Right. But if you can reach out and promise yourself that you'd keep your, you know, your distress under a little under wrap, or at least get the mm-hmm. conversation going with the other person, because the other yeah. person may be feeling as miserable as you. And right. two, if you can, you know, sort of share, or oh, this is what I'm doing, or this is this is how we can get out of that. Mm-hmm. And just that conversation, or have somebody say, "Oh, I've been thinking about you. I'm so glad you called." Yeah, absolutely. Those, those are all very, I, very important little things. I love that idea because I just had a friend of mine call me a couple of weeks ago out of the blue. I haven't talked to him for, goodness, four or five years at least. And he heard I was going through some stuff and he called me and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. How can I help you? How can I serve you? And exactly, you know, let me know what's going on. And so we talked for a little bit and, and in turn, I asked how he was doing and he's struggling right. with some medical issues and there, it, it re-engaged, it helped place that you brick got it. so that we could build another bridge because exactly. the bridge, the bridge may not be torn down, but it's pretty old and rickety. And there are some things on there that need to be replaced if I'm perfectly <laughs> honest. And well, so, well, I love that, Bill. I love that. Thank you. Well, one of the things that uh, I teach is uh, verbal intimacy. Yeah. And there are different levels of which we talk. And that has so much to do with, uh, you know, in terms of bridging that gap in in uh, loneliness. If the, the first stage being, you know, you be in a room and you look at each other, you notice you know, we're there for the first time, but you don't say anything. There's absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, just acknowledging that somebody is there. Right. But the the levels go deeper and deeper depending on how safe you feel and sure. how safe that person feels. You go, you can talk about what's going on in the room and, you know, very yes. objective. But more and more as you allow yourself to draw closer to somebody, you can be a little more truthful. Uh, about, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's uh, background or uh, things that are going on right now, what you're talking about, when somebody calls up and is able to be that intimate with you and allow you to be intimate with with him in Mm -hmm. terms of saying the deep, this is what's going on, this is truthful, this is what I'm struggling with, and you get a response from him, Right. Yeah, this is what I'm going through. So you're in the same level, and yep. you know that you can trust this person because both of you are talking in the same level. This and now is we're a fighting, skill. We're, and now we're fighting fights at the same time. And now we're right. back to back. Which instead we all of are. Combative. Which you, right. you know, if we if we were honest with each other, we would find we'd have so much in common. And it's right. It's real interesting. I uh, uh, was back in my hometown, went to a reunion. 
And in a sense, in, in many ways, I wasn't that close to the people who, when I was in high school with them, mm-hmm. we were, you know, we were often different uh, spheres. And of course, you know, adolescents, you know, we're unpredictable. But now that we've all matured and we had some really good conversations and sharing what's going on and found out that one person was doing the same kind of work as I was doing at the same time, but we were in different sphere and we never connected. And we both felt real bad about that because we could have been so helpful to each other. But we, but the high school experience made it very difficult for us to bridge right. that gap. Right. But the reunion, right. we said, oh, this is what's going on. And we weren't afraid of each other. And we became closer, I think, at the reunion than we were when we were students. Mm. Yeah. And that was a, a real education for me. And, yeah. you know, and I know why it didn't happen in high school. But I also know that, yeah, I haven't seen these people for years. And, we connected so, so well. Very and nice. that was affirming for me. And because I thought it was going to be a lonely experience. And I had some questions, why am I going? But, you know, your curiosity <laughs> yeah. to find out what's happened in those years. And also to share who, you know, if you're willing to share what's going on with you, yeah. then you get that feedback that we really, really yearn for yeah, and yet we so seldom get because we right. are taught not to be that uh, that open with people because they might hurt us. Yep, which just adds to the loneliness feeling. There's a reassurance right. if I if I let people know where I am, they're going to hurt me or they're going to use it in some way. That's a big possibility, right? And we in yeah. that way we have built a wall, and only we are able to to uh, break it down. So right. when we reveal, but we have to be very careful to, if, if we think about the levels of the depth of what we share, to pay attention to whether the person is following us. And I talk, you know, about my mother who was afraid of emotions and she, mm. you know, she didn't recognize an emotion in, if she tripped over it <laughs> and, you know, yeah. being a therapist, being a therapist, I'm trained to talk in- intimately, you know, yes. and so forth. Yeah. I teach my clients and, and I tried to do that with her and she would talk about a book she read. Yep. And so yep. I know she was lonely. As I look back on it, she was very lonely. A lot of, a lot of reason. And unfortunately it's too late to do anything about it, but, except to remind myself that that's the training I got mm-hmm. that us kids got and multi-generational. And that's how we learn loneliness or can learn loneliness. And it takes effort then for the person with loneliness to take a risk to reach out. But, you, I'm sure you've had experiences where you meet somebody and they move from social interaction to telling you uh, mm-hmm. in 10 minutes later their entire life history and you walk yes. away staggering right. on it. And, yep. and that's, 
And that for the lonely person is a, a death wish. <laughs> right. It is. Yeah. And talk and about information overload. Right. Right. And so that we have to kind of uh, tailor our, our responses, but not mm-hmm. cut off the response, not all or nothing. We just right. have to be, could take care of ourselves if we're afraid of hurt. Mm-hmm. but not to shut ourselves down as a way of avoiding hurt, because that hurts more. Yeah. And that's well, the loneliness. Well, Bill, close us out. What are some final thoughts for you? My thoughts are that, you know, in the surgeon's report, it was so comprehensive that it seemed overwhelming. Mm-hmm. What each one of us has to do is his or her little bit to reach out, whether we're the person suffering from loneliness or to knowing someone who may be having suffering loneliness, reach out to each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can eat an elephant, but it has to be one bite at a time. Yes. What we can do is on a personal level just to deal with loneliness in the world by just mm-hmm. action on our part. Yep. And so we've come to the end of a session, uh, a podcast. I hope this has been helpful. We'd love to hear from uh, people who are listening to let us know uh, of something that we might, you might want us to talk about or any opinion you, you have about what we've shared. This is Bill Lundgren and Jonathan Price uh, signing off. Uh, this is Blindsight, a product of Audio Information Network of Colorado, and we look forward to uh, meeting with you again. Thank you. Thank you.